Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from River of Life Church. If you enjoy this message, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or a friend. Also, visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Good morning, River of Life. Hey, let's pray very quickly. Father, I just ask you, as I often do, if you will give us ears to hear what your Word has to say. And Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us a mind to understand what we just heard. And above all of that, I pray that you give us a heart to just believe what we hear. Give us a heart to believe what you hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Something happened to me uh, when I was a young teenager that made an indelible uh, impression on me. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Um, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. But something that happened 45 years ago is just like it happened last night. I'm I'm sure some of y'all have had that. I was probably 13, 14 years old. And for some reason on this evening, I had gone to bed early. And uh, I was in my room and asleep, and I woke up around midnight. And uh, I went out into the living room, and uh, every light, it seemed like every light in the house was on. Uh, the TV was blaring, and, uh, but my family was gone. They were just gone. I'm calling out, mom, dad, my brother, nobody is, is even there. And there's perfectly reasonable explanations for that, right? Maybe, maybe they ran out to the store. Maybe they had gone to a neighbor's house earlier in the evening and they just hadn't made it back yet. But for some reason, on that night, the first explanation that popped in my head was that the rapture had happened <laughs> and I had been left behind. Now, let me tell you, I had been taught all my life that Jesus is coming back, and I believed it. And I was only, like I said, 13, 14 years old. I believed it. And for some reason, in that moment, I was as, as convinced. Now, that wasn't what happened, obviously, but in my mind, it was real. I, anybody else ever had that? I hear a bunch of, some everybody ever had anything like that happen? I'd been left behind. And to be honest with you, the feelings that I felt in that moment were real feelings. I felt panic. I felt despair. I felt a loneliness that I'd never felt in my life. I mean, I'm 13, 14 years old. What am I going to do? Who's going to take, who's going to cook me breakfast? Who's going to (laughs) take care of me, right? Now, as I said, that obviously, and the only thing I think snapped me out of it is I realized, now, wait a minute, my brother's not here. should have been a clue. My brother was not uh, there. Now, and that's only half joking, by the way. Um, you know, like I said, that was some, I'm 58 years old. That was probably some 45 years ago, but I still remember it in my mind. But 45 years have gone by, and he still hasn't come back. In fact, 2,000 years plus have gone by, 
and he hasn't returned. The, the title of my message this morning is, Where is he? Where is he? Now, listen, tonight, I mean, today we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. This is the, if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you want to follow along, this is the chapter in the Bible that addresses that question. In fact, 2 Peter, um, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 4, basically puts it like this. Where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise? Where is He? This is the chapter, 2 Peter 3, that, that answers this question. We're going to get there in just a minute, but before we do, I want to answer this question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter so much that He's coming back? In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus made a statement. It is an absolutely beautiful statement. If you're a Christian, you've been in church any time at all, you'll, you'll, you'll know this passage. Jesus said this, John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus promised that he would come back. He promised that he would come back. Those two angels that stood there on Bethany that day as Jesus ascended into heaven, those two angels looked and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here staring into heaven? That same Jesus in the way that he went is going to come back in the same exact way. See, the Bible promises, Jesus promises, the angels promise that he's coming again. You see, what's at stake is his very word. What's at stake is the very character of Jesus. If we can't believe that he's coming again, then I'm going to be honest with you. What can we believe? What, what can you believe? You either believe it all or you might as well just believe none of it. I believe all of it. I believe it all. I believe he's coming. So I want you to understand what we're talking about this morning matters and it matters greatly. Where, but where is he? Where is the promise of his coming. As I said, we're going to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. If you got your Bibles and you want to turn there, I would absolutely encourage you to follow along. Let's read verses 1 through 3. And we're just going to kind of walk down through this chapter and see what Peter says. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle or letter, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Let me stop right there for one second. It's a funny thing to me through the years. I've watched, I like to watch people and movements and stuff. And one of the things I noticed in Christianity is everybody's always looking for something new. A new way to do church, a new way to pray, a new way to read your Bible, a new way to do youth ministry, whatever the case may be. You open the Bible and you see this refrain come up over again. I want to remind you. I want to remind you of what was first delivered to you. I want to remind you of what I first told you. See, what we're doing here this morning is we're not going anyplace new. We're just reminding ourselves of things that we should already know. Let's read on in verse 2. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first. Now, this is important. It's this, he's saying, this is the first thing I want to remind you of. This is primary. And he says this, that scoffers will come in the last days. And let me stop right there. One of the questions that I get as a, at teaching the Bible, I'm sure Pastor Henry and Brother Bill and Chuck and others get this question, are we living in the last days? 
I hear that a lot. So this morning I'm going to answer that question absolutely definitively for you. And the answer to that is yes. Yes, we are living in the last days. Let me give you two scriptures to back that up. The first is Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. The context of this is uh, it's about 50 days after Jesus is risen. I'm sorry, about 50 days after the resurrection, about 10 days after Jesus is risen into heaven. 120 people are in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter walks outside and gives a speech. This is about 2,000 years ago, and, and Peter says this. He said, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. You see, hundreds of years before, a man named Joel had prophesied that one day, in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit. Peter walks outside and said, this is it. This is what that dude Joel was talking about. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the last days. I'll give you one more, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. You see, the fact is, in the New Testament, the last days started when that little baby was born in Bethlehem. That began the last days. It will end when He comes again. This whole, the whole time between the first and second coming it is the last day. So let, let me just answer it definitively, absolutely. We are living in the last days. Let's look back at verse 3 again. Peter says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Peter says people are going to come and they're going to be scoffers. That word means mockers. They're going to be ridicules. They're going to make fun of the church. They're going to they're make fun of Christianity. They're going to they're ridicule it. But before I go on to what they're going to say, I want you to see something. I want you to notice their motivation. He says they are walking according to their own lust. See, what I want you to see is their ridicule is a moral issue. Their ridicule is a moral issue. They want to live according to their own standards. They want to behave and act the way they want to act, not according to some moral standards of some king who might come back in the future. They want to live the way they want to live without accountability, without consequences, and without retribution. That's all they want to do. They don't want any, they don't, they want to be beholden to no Bible. They don't want to be beholden to a soon coming king. They don't want to hear anything about that. And let me tell you, folks, the return of Jesus means both of those things. It means judgment and it means accountability. It means a lot of other things, but let me tell you, it means judgment and it means accountability. And they don't want to contend with that. You see, that's the bottom line of people who... By the way, that's really the bottom line of people who want to argue, people who want to debate, people who want to just say, I don't want to hear any of that. The bottom line, it's always about leave me alone and let me live my life my own way. That's always the bottom line. In the end, their mockery is driven by their immorality. Now, by the way, if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, you'll find out that these, these are religious people. These are people in our churches. These are pastors. These are people who are teaching in our seminaries and places like that. So they're not just going to come out and admit, hey, I just want to live my life the way I want to. They got to come up with some kind of intellectual reason. And that's exactly what they do. Look at verse 4. This is what they say in their mocking. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were 
from the beginning of creation. There's the question. Where is he? Where is he? And the way they, they, they back this up, they say, look, go all the way back to creation. Go all the way back to Genesis. Go all the way back to Adam and, and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All, nothing's changing. Nothing's changed. They're just going along and they're saying, look, all this time has gone by and he hadn't come back. Nothing's changed. Now, by the way, every time I read this, I'm astounded by how amazingly modern this argument is. This is exactly the argument of modern science and evolution. That's what they say. Go back millennia. Go back eons. Go back millions and billions of years. Nothing ever changes. There's no Jesus. There's nobody coming back. It's just, it's just the laws of nature. They just go on and on. People are born. People die. Generations come, generations go. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. The tide rises, the tide falls. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Nothing ever changes. The very thought that one day the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. The very thought that one day this earth will burn with fiery judgment. That, that, they don't even want to contemplate that. That, that idea doesn't even come into their head. And so what they do is they just say, look, look around you. It just, everything just goes on. It's gonna, you're going to come and go. You're going to be born and die. Somebody else will come in. Nothing ever changes. And so they say, where is he? Where's the promise of his coming? Now, how does the Bible answer that? How does the Bible answer that? Well, Peter is going to answer it. He's going to answer it in four ways. The interesting thing about this is two of them are going to be directed at unbelievers, the scoffers, but two of the answers he's going to give is directed at me and you. Let's look at the first two. Here's the first thing he says. Look at verse 5. He says this, For this they willfully forget, talking about the scoffers, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. See, this is his first point. He says, listen, folks, God created it, and God can end it any time that he chooses. God created it, and he can end it. You see, God created this world. This always astounds me by the word of his mouth. I mean, if we just thought about that for a while, he literally spoke it into being. And the same God that created this with the word of his mouth can end it with a single word. Let me tell you, the laws of nature are incredible. If you study science and you study the way everything is, is set up for life, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. But let me tell you, the destiny of this world doesn't hang on the laws of nature. The destiny of, world, of this world hangs on the very Word of God. So you and I need to guard ourselves against this idea that somehow the laws of nature rule everything. They don't. John Piper says it this way, the laws of, God created the laws of nature. He created all this. John Piper calls the laws of nature the tireless whisperings of the Almighty God. Let me tell you, when God raises His voice, it's going to be over. He's just whispering right now, but if He ever decides to raise His voice, it'll be over. The second thing that Peter brings up to, to uh, respond to these scoffers is he said this, 
hey, maybe you've forgotten, but everything hasn't gone along always and none changing. He said, don't you remember? God's already judged it one time, and he's going to do it again. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You see, Peter says, this is what you scoffers are ignoring. This is what you scientists and evolutionists are ignoring. God's already destroyed the world one time. He did it in the days of Noah, and he did it with water. This time, he's going to do it with fire. Now, let me stop right here and say this. I'm not a scoffer. I'm not a ridiculer. I believe he's coming back. I have always believed he's coming back. I believe God is going to judge this world. I believe this world that we live on is going to burn up and God is going to create new heavens and a new earth. I believe all of that. But I still want to know where is he? I still got the same question. Where is he? Jesus, what's taking you so long? And I think Peter recognizes that. And I want you to look at verse 8. Because in verse 8, he turns around and he begins to talk to believers, not scoffers. And I'll prove that. Look at 2 Peter 3, 8. He says, but beloved. See, he's not talking to scoffers anymore. He's talking to you and I. He's talking to believers. This is what he says. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. See, Peter says... Christians, don't forget this. God doesn't view time the way we do. Don't put God in a box and say, this is the way I see everything, and he's got to fit inside of that, of that box. He doesn't view time the way we do. Now, Peter says this statement. We've probably heard it a lot. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, what does that, what does that mean? Well, I've seen people take this and try to make a formula, some kind of formula out of it. I don't really think that's what Peter means. I've, um, I, I've seen people say, well, that shows that God is outside of time. And in some ways, that's true. I mean, you and I, God can sit here and see all the way back to Adam, and he can see all the way to the end. So in some sense, that is true. God is outside of time. But what does he mean here that a day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day? I think, as I said, I think what he's trying to say is God doesn't see time the way we do. Let me give you an example. Let's take a, a man who's a billionaire with a B. Not a millionaire, but a billionaire. He's got, we're talking Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, people with more money they can spend in 10 lifetimes. And over here, you got this regular person. They make about 30, 40 grand a year. And let's say this, this piece of property comes up, and it's for sale for $50,000. And uh, both of them, for whatever reason, want that piece of property. Now, that, the guy that makes thirty grand a year, let's be honest, $50,000 is more money than he's probably ever going to see in his bank account in his whole lifetime, right? To him, that is a lot of money. The billionaire probably carries that much in his wallet. Right? I mean, 50,000, 50 million, what does he care? He's got more money than he can ever spend in his lifetime. You see, I think that's what Peter means when he talks about God in time. 
You see, you and I, at our best, we have 60, 70, 80 years. Every day to us is valuable because we've only got a certain amount of it. But God is eternal. God is immortal. He's got time upon time upon time. So with him, to us, a day is everything. To him, a day, a thousand years, eh, whatever. Are you with me? I think that's what he's saying. He just doesn't view time. He's not limited in thinking, boy, i got to get this done in 50 years, or i got to get this done. No. He's got all the time in the world stretched out in front of him. Peter says you need to remember that when you think about him coming back. He doesn't see time the way you and I do. That's his first reason, to, to his first answer to my question. Where is he? What's taking him so long? Then he gives one more, which is absolutely the best. Verse 9, he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says, you want to know, Derek, why he hadn't come back yet? Because he's kind. And he's merciful. And he's patient. Because if he comes back today, your aunt is going to hell. If he comes back tomorrow, then maybe those men you work with will spend eternity in hell. But he's kind. And he's loving. And he's patient. And he wants to give them one more chance. One more chance to repent and follow him. You know, it's a funny thing. I was thinking this morning, Peter was probably martyred, I don't know, somewhere around maybe 65, 67 A.D. So only about 30 years had gone by when he writes this letter since Jesus ascended into heaven. Only about 30 years. And people are already saying, where is he? <laughs> where is he? And Peter says, you know the reason he's waited 30 years? Because he's kind and he's merciful. Folks, he's waited 2,000 years. Do you know how much kindness and mercy and patience and forgive. What, what kind of God is this that we serve that would give generation after generation after generation more time and more time and more time before he pulls the plug? The tragic irony is that these people take God's patience in delaying his coming, which is meant to give them an opportunity to repent, and they turn it against God. And use it as a reason not to believe. This past week, I was, uh, I was uh, scrolling through some YouTube videos. And I like to watch different teachings and things like that. So I got a lot of Christian stuff. Well, something popped up and it said it was a man over in England. And it said, why I'm no longer a Christian. And uh, I, I, that stuff always piques my interest. I want to know what would cause somebody to walk away from the faith. So I clicked on it. And it turned out that his biggest issue that made him walk away from the faith was the fact that Jesus had not come back yet. That was his biggest issue. He said, you know, I, I opened the Bible and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm reading Peter and Paul and, and all of these, uh, these disciples. And, and it's obvious that they all expected him to come back in their lifetime. He said, that's obvious. And he said, but they were wrong. And if they're wrong about that, maybe they're wrong about this. 
and it just began, the doubt began to roll through his mind, and eventually he just said, well, I just don't believe that any, anymore. By the way, let me answer that question for you. Did the disciples expect Jesus to come back in their lifetime? Absolutely, yes. Now, by the way, Peter didn't. Peter knew he would be martyred before the return of Jesus. Jesus told him one day, said, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. When you're old, men will stretch out your hands and dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And the Bible says, signifying that he would die a death of crucifixion. Peter knew he would be crucified. He knew he would die before Jesus come back. But a lot of the disciples absolutely, absolutely they believed that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. By the way, don't you think every generation has expected that same thing? Listen to me. That doesn't mean they were wrong as far as their beliefs. What it means is they were living exactly the way Jesus told them to live. He told us, live like I'm coming because I'm coming like a thief in the night. Leah, let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Luke chapter 12, 35 to 36. This is the, the uh, words of Jesus. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus said, be ready. Stay ready. Be ready. Be dressed for action. He goes on, verses 45 to 46 of that same chapter. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants, servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. The parable of the ten virgins. He, Jesus told parable after parable and it was always the same. Stay ready. Be ready. You don't know. I'm coming like a thief. In the night. So the disciples were just living the way Jesus told them to live, staying ready. And every generation of Christians since then, if they're faithful to the Word of God, will be looking for Him to come back in their lifetime. Earlier, I said that I would answer the question Are we living in the last days? And I understand what people want to know. People don't want to know, Are we living in the last days? What people want to know, Are we living in the last days? hour. That's what people really want to know. Is it, is it really that close? Now, let me tell you, I'm not a prophet. Uh, I, I don't know when he's coming back. But I will tell you, I've got eyes. Jesus said, take a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches get tender and those little buds start to poke out, you know summer's coming. You know it's coming. Take a lesson from that. Open your eyes. Look around you. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, one of the signs of the second coming, one of the signs that he's coming back is this. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I, I don't know how many of you keep up on social media and, and just what's going around. And, and I, I'm, I, play, I pay very close attention to what's going on, not so much out there in the world, but in Christianity. What, what things are being taught, things like that. And I've, I tell you, lately, I've never seen anything like people apostatizing from the faith. Amen. 
I'm not talking about people backsliding. I'm not people just going through a hard time. I'm talking about people who have believed for years, standing up and saying, I don't believe that anymore. I'll give you a quick example. John Steingard, lead singer of the Christian band, Hulk Nelson. You've heard him on the radio. You've heard him sing. He stood up and said, I, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe this whole Jesus thing. I don't want to do it anymore. And he walked away. Abraham Piper, son of John Piper, was a confessing Christian. Now he's got a TikTok channel where he blasphemes the Son of God. Blasphemes the Son of God. Joshua Harris, many of you grew up in the 80s and 90s, 90s will remember his book, um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which started the whole purity movement. He was a pastor about three years ago, divorced his wife, walked away and said, I don't believe this Christian stuff anymore. He apostatized from the faith. The list goes on. Marty Sampson, Hillsong worship leader, Paul Maxwell, Christian author, Mark Galley, editor of Christianity Today. And then just this past week, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's, he was one of the three founding members of DC Talk, saying, Jesus freak, I grew up on that stuff. He stood up and said, I don't believe anymore. I don't believe in this Jesus Christ. I'm not a Christian. What do we do, folks? Let me tell you. Stay dressed. Be ready. Be ready. Don't take, don't just think that'll never happen to me. Don't think. The Bible tells us when you think you stand, that's about the time you're going down. At the end of this chapter, 2 Peter 3, the last two verses, Peter says this, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, you know it. Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you are here today and you're a believer, and you said to me, you know, what can I do, Derek, in these, in these last days? What can I do to make sure? I'm going to give you some really simple things. You know what you can do? You can come to Wednesday night suppers. You can stop looking at Sunday as being one hour, hour and a half out of your week, and you can get in. You can get in. You can hook up. You can, you can get, get uh, tied in to other brothers and sisters because this is how we keep it going to the end. We edify one another and encourage one another. You can start seeing this not as, again, something you do an hour a week, but you can start seeing River of Life as your family. If you want a social club, go, go, go to the Lions Club. This is a family. And you don't, you don't just walk away from family. You don't just walk away from family. You want to make it to the end. You want to stay ready and dressed and, and, and keeping your lamps burning. You, you come to church. You get in a life group. You get in a Bible study. You come to Wednesday night suppers. You, you, you begin to encourage and edify. It's, it's not rocket science. Right? It's what the Bible set up for church to be. But you have to do those things. You don't take a day off. You don't take a day off. You know, Christians, I, I know it's, it's, it's hard out there. You look at culture, and I, I, every day I see things, and I, I just cannot believe some of the things that I'm seeing with your own eyes. So I've got a word for believers here this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. 
You believe in God? Jesus said, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'll come get you. And I'll take you there to be with me forever. That's from a God who cannot lie. He cannot lie. You need to be comforted by those words. One more quick thing before I close. If you're here this morning, well, let me, let me say this. 45 years ago, I'm a 13, 14-year-old kid. I walk out there in that living room, and I think the rapture has happened. I've been left behind, and I wasn't surprised. I was not surprised. I didn't fall on my knees and say, what, what, what's going on? No, I knew why I would have been left behind because I wasn't living the way I was supposed to be living. See, the fact is, he's coming again. He's coming again. It's more sure than that the sun will come up tomorrow. It's more sure than death and taxes. He is coming again. Yeah. My question is to you, teenagers... Young adults. I know how it is when you're young and you got everything ahead of you and you're just, that's all you can really focus on. If you came today and let, you were left behind, would you be surprised? Would you be surprised? If you have to say yes, and I am begging you, begging you, you need to get down to this altar today and make it right with God. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ that His righteousness is imputed to you through faith. You need to make sure that your lamp is burning, you're girded, you're ready to go, because He is coming back. Pastor Henry, if you'll come, let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, what your Word is amazing. It's incredible. God, if we'll only hear, we'll only understand, but more than that, Lord, if we would only believe. Jesus, I thank you for that promise in John 14. I thank you that you told, you knew so long ago that one day that I and others here would need to hear those words. Let not your heart be troubled. I will come again. Father, if there's anyone here this day that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, if there's anyone here today that wouldn't be surprised if they were left behind, then I ask that this day, this day, they'll come to know you as I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for viewing this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can also call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life Live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. <music>